Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew? And now we are in chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I, I recognize what time it is, it's, but we are a few minutes better than last week, uh, last week, than last service. Uh, but we had some really good things to accomplish today. Sometimes Communion Sunday almost could just be all by itself, just communion and worship. Uh, but let's come now to the text of Scripture. The book of Matthew, as we have said, calls the reader to respond to the kingdom of heaven. Would you all say the kingdom of heaven? It recalls the reader to respond to the kingdom of heaven as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's, those are the first words that Matthew hears. The first words we read Matthew hears from Jesus are, follow me. And then Matthew leaves everything and follows Jesus. So really the book of Matthew, as we, we should understand it, as telling the reader what it means to follow Jesus, what the privileges are and the responsibilities, what it, how, what it means to follow him and how we do it. So we have so far followed Jesus. We have, we have come to repentance and the waters of baptism. We have followed Jesus into the embrace of heaven itself, realizing that being a disciple means that Jesus brings us into vital contact with the Holy Spirit. That, 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 that Holy Spirit's empowering, his, that, that, that baptism, that immersion is really supposed to define and determine our discipleship, our, our following of Jesus. Following that now, we pick up this next part in the Gospel of Matthew, and we are in chapter 4. Today, we will follow the one who faces and overcomes temptation. He will do this as us and for us. What we were about to see, this passage that, we, that is not unfamiliar to many, the temptation of Jesus. It's so familiar that they've made at least two really bad movies about it. But what's in, I think what's important for us to take with us as we look into this passage is this is what we're seeing. That in this, Jesus necessarily has, is facing the fundamental failures of humanity, where humanity, the, the, the core elements of our failure in, in, in temptation and sin, Jesus faces because he has to. He has to, as, as God become man, as, as, in, as God incarnate, as the Son of Man, as, uh, as if, if he is going to represent and redeem us, he has to, as us, face what we have, where we have failed and overcome. And because he did, we can. And that's really the, the one sentence that I hope we'll repeat a few times, but let's try it right now. Because he did, we can. Can we try it together? Because he did, we can. We will see what Jesus faces and how he overcomes it. And that will prove instructive for us. But more important than just the, the what did he face and what did he do and how did he do it, it that's instructive and we should learn from it. But more important is the bigger message. It's not just what he did. It's that he did it. It's that he did it. He faced our greatest failure and our greatest foe and overcame. Someone say he overcame. You see, 
and all of this is necessary, for, and that's why we can sing, I mean, my victory is named is Jesus and victory in Jesus. And that's why we could even say, if he walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. The whole, we're going to follow Jesus all the way through. We follow him into the waters of baptism, the embrace of heaven, the overcoming of sin and the devil. Eventually, we'll follow him to the cross, into the grave, and back out. Yeah. <laughs> and. Sometimes this joy just comes on you. All right, let's read the Bible. I'll read the whole thing so then we can just kind of remember and refer to it as we go. So this is Mark, uh, Mark, Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Now, I'm going to slow down when you, I want you to remember things. He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Every once in a while, there's a passage of Scripture that just seems obvious. <laughs> verse, three, verse 3, and then the tempter came and said to him, if you are, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. I'm glad for no, no, I was wait. I've been waiting for people to make like low carb diet jokes there or something. Okay. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now, at the very end of this is a reference that is, would be a lot of fun just to camp on, just that verse 11. So let me start at verse 11 before we even start. There's this reference to angels coming and ministering to Jesus. They began to, the word began there is supplied there by translators to help us understand that it's probably an aggressive error if you don't care about that. But probably the idea here is that angels came and ministered to Jesus, but it was not a, a brief visit. It, the idea might indicate that angel, that, be, that he kept the company of angels. That it became, it, it seems that whether it's recorded or not, he was at least aware of them or they, they, they aided him, they assisted him in some way or another. We're not told how. If we were told how, we might make, write books about it and give recipes. Literally recipes for how to do angel stuff. But, because we're just that weird. But, 
setting aside the weird factor, here's the deal. Here's the, the implication is that if we're following Jesus, and, he, and he's not just a unique sort of demigod out there for us to watch, but if he's, if, he's, if he's blazing a trail for you and me, here is something of assurance, something of hope, something of encouragement that we can know this. We can have confidence that heaven is assigning angels to care for us. And you may not be aware of them, but there's certainly nothing wrong with being aware of them. Jesus seemed to be, and he wasn't distracted or bothered. He didn't worship him. We don't have to worry about any of that. Just understand this, that, that heaven ha- is dispatching the host of heaven, the angels of heaven, to work alongside you. I think we need their help. Jesus did. I think we do. Now, let's go to the, the rest of the text. The rest of this text is about Jesus overcoming, overcoming. And because he did, let's try it again. Because he did, so here's the setting in verses 1 and 2. The setting is Jesus is led by the Spirit. Aren't you glad that Matthew tells us that he's led by the Spirit? Because if Jesus is led by the Spirit, you and I can and should be led by the Spirit. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Jesus has to trust the Spirit to lead him, even if it means the wilderness. You and I can trust the Holy Spirit. Where God leads you, He will stay present with you. He will protect you. He will. He is with you. He doesn't send you away on your, on your own to fend for yourself. He will lead you and be present with you. Everything that Jesus is about to do, He does under the unction, the anointing, the protection, the favor, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so will you. Everybody say, so will I. You live your life confident, rely upon the Spirit. Even if it looks like, Lord, we're headed into the wilderness. Stay the course. He's with you. So he, the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, this is interesting, and it's important for us to understand. Who is, who is he dealing with? Well, the devil. Uh, Satan, the accuser, the slanderer. That's important enough for us to stop and just say, if his name, if the devil, if his name means accusation and slander, you and I should avoid doing that. If, you, if, if your tongue is given to accusation and slander, then your tongue is, you are leasing property on your tongue to the devil. Nobody gets all quiet. It's okay to say, yeah, amen, and just point to somebody else. Yeah, tell him that. But honestly, honestly, friends, you should read that and it should give you great pause and seriously invite you to serious fundamental repentance. There is that slander, accusation, division is absent. It's the tool. It's the name of the devil. Don't do it. Go ahead and say it out loud. Don't do it. To be tempted by the devil, not to be forced, not to be hijacked, not to be arrested. This is his tool. This is his trade, deception, temptation, to twist, to convince, to persuade, to, ex- to, to, to try to persuade Jesus to exchange truth for a lie, to, to favor, you know, favor with God for, 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 for the favors of hell or whatever else, for the, for the, 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 the truth and power of heaven, with, with exchange that for the empty, hollow shell of sin. This is his game. There is no force here. There's temptation. Jesus is being led by the Spirit. And again, he is necessarily being led 
to face our failures and our foe. And because he did, we can. Now, he, he also the, Matthew lets us know that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, that is a, fasting is a, a, a practice that is, that is done not, not for mourning and not in order to gain spiritual power, but it is, it is a time of focus. Do not read this and think, oh, Jesus was really anointed powerfully because he fasted. He was anointed before he fasted. And it was this anointing on his life that enabled him to do what he did. Just he, he was anointed before the wilderness, not after. Don't go into a wilderness trying to find the anointing. <laughs> he didn't, okay? A couple of other things that this, this, this speaks to us. As we're reading Matthew, we're remembering that the audience is, is largely a Jewish audience familiar with the Old Testament. So they would have heard 40 days and 40 nights. And many commentators want us to know that this, this echoes the life of Moses, that he, is, that, that he delivered his people. But before they went into the promised land, that he ascends the, the mount and is there for 40 days and 40 nights. Actually, he had to do it twice. But he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. So there's the idea that Jesus he is, is the fulfillment of all this prophetic hope, that he is the fulfillment of this. When, when Moses said, the Lord will raise up a prophet like me, that Jesus is Moses-esque in that way. But really, he's the new Moses. We'll talk about that later. Then also Elijah, the prophet. So the, the lawgiver is on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah, the prophet, is in the wilderness. Also later, he's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. So it looks like, ah, Jesus is the embodiment, the representation of the law and the prophets, of the leader of the, the, the giver of the law and the, the, the prototype of the prophetic movement. Jesus embodies both of them. There's these, this symbolism there. He really did it, but it pictured something. It sent a message to Matthew's audience. Now, there are those, and I have to say this because it's probably in your study Bibles, I guarantee it. There are many of your study Bibles will say, ah, what Jesus is doing is he is, uh, he is, this is like, or this is a reference to the people of Israel wandering in the desert for, for 40 years. And, and where they failed, Jesus doesn't. That's true in that where they failed, Jesus doesn't. That part is true. But I do not subscribe to the idea that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness in order to some sort of, as some sort of recapitulation of Israel's wilderness wanderings. Why? Because Israel wandered in the wilderness because, because they disobeyed. It was a result of their disobedience. Jesus goes into the wilderness out of obedience. <laughs> So I, I, I don't, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, he is reenact, he, this is some sort of a reenactment of that. No, no, I don't think that's the case. But I do believe he is, he is expressing fulfillment and prophetic ideology of the spiritual leaders of our past. And it, he very well took time to isolate himself and to accommodate himself, to focus. That's what fasting does is a time of focus. So here's we have. Here's the, set, the, the, the setup is Jesus is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He goes to a lonely place. He he's puts himself intentionally in a physically weakened condition in order to be confronted by the devil and tempted to sin. And it is from this place that he faces humanity's failure and humanity's foe and overcomes. And because he did. All right, now here's the showdown. 
beginning at the, three through ten is the whole showdown. But I have just submitted to you in these three temptations. I have given each what I think is a theme or a title or a thing that Jesus faces and overcomes. The first one, and it's in verses three and four. I believe this is that this this temptation revolves around appetite. I do not necessarily mean hunger pangs like, hmm, I want me some chicken wings. I mean the the appetite, the the carnal appetite, the the desire of for satisfaction, to satisfy my my pleasures or my desires. Let's take a look here. The first thing that, it, that, that we hear is the enemy comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God. Whew, there's so much there. This, this is a mocking taunt. If you are, it calls into question the relationship between God and man. Father and son, creator and creation, God and man. The name devil, diabolo, Diabolo means to throw between, to come between. His whole mission is to divide and to pervert and to mock. So his first statement is, if you are. His, the first thing he did in Eden was try to divide, to sow mistrust between God and man. And this is the first thing he does to Jesus. If you are, question, taunt, mock your identity, your relationship with God. If you are, he says, then Turn these stones into bread. Now, I want you to understand or see that in the scriptures, there is no correlation. There is no prophetic correlation between stones and bread. There is no redemptive historical uh, precedent, no story from the Old Testament about nothing in the Bible that, 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 turned, that, makes, that rocks turn into bread and it's somehow a prophetic example of something true. It literally is isolated. It's a ridiculous idea. You know how people say, well, if, I wonder if God is powerful enough to um, create a rock that he can't lift. A stupid, a stupid question uh, that, that it's designed only to mock and to mischaracterize the nature of God. What's it, many people will say, as you read commentaries and study Bibles, they'll say, oh, what the devil was doing here was he was trying to get Jesus to use, literally, Use his supernatural power to for his own good. My response to that would have been, is so what? So what if he wanted to, if he was hungry and he wanted, he could have done that. But more importantly, Jesus, now hear me carefully, Jesus doesn't have supernatural powers. What? No, Jesus divested, emptied himself of divine privilege and lives as the Son of Man and the Son of God, totally relying upon the Holy Spirit. He's not a demigod, a wizard, or a magician. So when, when commentators think, oh, he wanted, it's like, it's no different than when the, 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 the Quran says that when Jesus was 12, he made a clay bird and made it fly. That never happened either. He doesn't have magic powers. He doesn't want them. Because you don't. He wants you. He wants to live, show the example of you and me living under the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that, that, that we can do God's will and bring heaven manifest on earth. That's the mission. And so it, this whole thing is a mockery. You just, this, you get, get it, he, he, the, the, the temptation is a total mockery of the nature of God and the mission of heaven. Turn these stones into bread. Do something, do something that, that doesn't make sense, that violates the natural order of things. 
in order to accommodate your appetite. Now, the best way to understand each of these temptations is to pay close attention to the answer. Jesus really gives us the salt. He not only solves the problem, but tells us what's behind the problem with his answers. Now, the first thing he says is, it is written. Everybody say, it is written. This is worth stopping. This is good, just good one, Christian 101 stuff. First, we recognize that Jesus is answering temptation with Scripture. He does it each time. This is helpful and instructive for us. Psalm 119, verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not just memorized it so that I can quote it, but treasured it in my heart. When I treasure the word in my heart, then I am transformed from, the within, from within. The word of God has precedent as it infects, it takes root inside of me and changes my affections and desires. Not, it's not just in my frontal lobe so that I can quote it like I'm Harry Potter and some magic spell to fight the devil. Stop that. I also want us to hear, and this, this might be not important for everybody, but you'll hear it somewhere. You'll hear it on some program or radio station, and it's, I have to be faithful enough to say no. This also is written in the perfect tense. In the perfect tense in the Greek, that means that it is something that it happened and remains in fully active force. It is written is in the perfect tense, meaning it was written a long time ago, but it, that doesn't mean it's outdated or powerless. It was written, but it's in the, with the force that it was first written, its power is fully active and applicable and relevant right now. So let me say this clearly, that everything in the Old Testament, while we, are, while we do not live according to the Mosaic law, the life of the scriptures in the Old Testament, that was Jesus' Bible. We do not unhitch from the Old Testament. We do not dismiss the, the principles of those commands. They are true, part of the nature of God. We listen to them. Well, that's important because you will hear Christian leaders start to say more and more, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. We need to forget that it ever existed. Don't ever quote from it because Jesus didn't give us those commands. No, but he quoted from them. Now, I'm, I, and I realize some of you might think, well, that's ridiculous. Trust me. If you haven't heard it, you will. And it's horse radish. But again, the solution is, what did Jesus say? He is not just quoting Scripture as a way to kind of like sword fight the devil. He is rejecting a lie and displacing it with truth. And that is, he's showing us how. Now, what's the most important is that he did overcome, which, which he paves the way for us to, which means we can. But he shows us how. He's a, a, a mockery, an accusation, a half-truth. A lie was thrown at him, and he doesn't engage the lie. He replaces the lie with truth. And he says, no, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8, and that whole section in Deuteronomy is about how the commands and the decrees of God are morally supreme, they are beneficial, and they are life giving, and they are to be followed completely. The, Deuteronomy says, this is the word that I'm giving you. Follow this for your own good, for your own life, for your own, for the, for, for, that it would go well with you. The word of God, the decrees of God are for your good. When you do it God's way and with, by God's word, it's good for you. That is life, he says. 
Someone say, that's life. So the enemy says, turn these stones into bread. Violate, violate the natural orders. Do something silly. Mock God. And actually this, serve your own appetite above the word of God. Put your appetite, your hunger, the immediate gratification of pleasure or whatever else, uh, uh, violate the ways of God and advance your appetite instead. Here we have one of the first and foremost failures of humanity. We are servants of our appetites. But Jesus said, no, no, don't serve your appetites. Your life comes from the very breath of God. It is God's decrees, God's will, his word that sustains us, that guides us, that governs us, that gives us life. So when the enemy says to Jesus, serve your appetite, the answer is no. My appetite submits to the will of God. I crave the word of God. In in verse 5, he picks it up. This, in this section, I've titled this one Rebellion. Now, that might sound tough, but this is, it really captures a lot. Appetite and rebellion. This is a, it has to do with our attitude back toward God himself. In verses 5 through 7, the devil takes, and I had that in quotes, it, it takes Jesus into the holy city. They don't catch an Uber and drive in Jerusalem from the, from, from the desert there. This is a, a visionary, a, a, a vision experience. Temptation is inward anyway. So this is a vision experience, and the devil takes him, and they're, they're, in, they're in their holy city, and he shows them this place, the highest point of the temple. There's a, they tell us in archaeology that because when they rebuilt it in the second temple, uh, they, had to, they had to shore up this one part. So probably on, there was one corner of it where it was really, really high and overlooked everything, and the, and, the, and the ground below it was a huge drop-off. They say that's probably the idea, the sentiment there. He takes them to this high place, and then he says, the, the devil says to Jesus, Throw yourself down because, after all, God said he'd make sure you don't get hurt. Golly, listen to that. It's the, it's the, the temptation is, is to push some ridiculous behavioral envelope and dare God to do something about it. Do something reckless or foolish. Just push the envelope and see, what, see if God will do anything. Golly, I know I'm looking over at Rob. And, and how many times in, in youth ministry do students come up to us and they want to know, <laughs> sorry, I don't, don't get offended. This is PG, almost 13. They'll say, how far can we go and still be okay? This is that sentiment. See, push the envelope and see if God notices. How far, how reckless can I live? Make God prove himself. Make God prove his authority or his his judgment. Make him prove his mercy. Let's just see how forgiving he is. How far can you go? Make him prove his faithfulness. Act in such a way in recklessness or foolishness as to test, to see if God is who he claims to be. Make God prove himself by your rebellion. The temptation here is make God serve you. But again, Jesus' answer clarifies the problem. He says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
You don't get to make God serve you. You don't get to make God prove himself by your rebellion or your recklessness or your foolishness or your unbelief. Actually, this temptation is a trap. <laughs> In first service, I, I said, it's a trap. And I thought, oh, no. All my Star Wars nuts just went crazy. Uh, uh, and me too. Uh, but uh, it is a trap because here's the deal. If Jesus, think about it, that this is Diablo, the tempter, the accuser, the slanderer. This is what he does. He, 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 make God prove himself by throwing yourself down. If Jesus says, well, sure, I'll do that. Well, then he does that very thing. He tempts God. He's reckless. He's foolish. And he makes God prove himself. But if Jesus says, oh, man, that's really high. I, 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 uh, no, no, oh, no, not doing it. Too high. That's too high, too far of a fall. I don't know if God will be faithful. There's a, now we have reluctance. We have recklessness on one hand and reluctance to trust God on the other. So if he says yes, it's, re- it's reckless. If he says, oh, no, I, I, I'm too afraid, then he's reluctant. Then he proves he doesn't believe God. So it's a trap. As my daddy used to tell me growing up, he'd, say, he'd lower his voice and he'd say, son, never debate the devil. Don't get into a discussion. You rebuke him. You, re- you refuse to engage on his line of reasoning. You speak truth. Jesus doesn't, engage, doesn't even engage that line of reasoning. Jesus said, no, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. He doesn't debate the devil. He resists him. He says, no, I will trust and obey God. I will trust God almost as I will trust God enough to obey him. Without testing him. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And the, ne- the last one and it begins at verse 8, verses 8 through 10. I've called this one idolatry. The devil took Jesus and showed him, he took him up on a high mountain and showed him, I have that in quotes again, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And, and he says to Jesus, I will give all of these to you if you fall down and worship me. Okay, hang on here. I know it's 1241 and you're thinking I've got to get out of here before the game starts. We're almost done. Uh, the devil says, I'm, I'll give, I will give you these if you will worship me. We have to say that if, that if there weren't an element, and I'm not saying total truth, but if there, wasn't, if there wasn't a factual element there, then it wouldn't be a temptation. So there's something to that. What is it? What is it that, what is he offering and how can he offer it? Uh, Jesus calls Satan in John chapter 40, 14 and verse 30, he calls Satan the ruler of this world. Paul gives us a little more clarification in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 where he says that the devil is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That is that Satan has, this is important, Satan has a degree of influence and control over those who are disobedient. Those who have refused to obey God, the enemy has access to influence over them. And that really represents our, the world system. There's the, the po- political, socioeconomical, cultural systems that are organized outside of obedience to God. Just 
this, it might freak you out, and it probably should. The devil actually has influence over those things. So parenthetically, you ought to be careful what you allow in your heart, your home, your life, culturally. Because it's not as benign as you might think. Here's what the devil, the devil says. If he says, if to Jesus, if you will honor me, if you'll just take a knee, here, I will give you access to all of this. Now, many writers say what he was trying to do is Satan was trying to trick Jesus into bypassing the cross and that Satan was going to give Jesus the big crown over the planet if he would worship him. There's, that's too much. The, the, the text doesn't allow for that, and that doesn't match the theology of Scripture because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The, the planet belongs to God. So he's not talking about all the... He's talking about this, social, this socio-cultural economic influence that he has over those who are disobedient. That, that world system... He says to Jesus, and he doesn't, even, he doesn't even say, really, if you will fall down and say, all hail Satan, you're God. He doesn't, that, the language is different than that. It's far more subtle in the Greek. It's, it's, it's different than a religious act of homage. It, it's, uh, it, uh, it was more like this, just compromise. Just honor the beast a little bit. Trade your radical commitment to God for a slightly less radical commitment. Give me shared custody of your soul, so to speak. The temptation is serve Satan and gain the world. But the question is, what would you trade for all the shiny stuff of this life? Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, we'll get there. He said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? forfeits his soul. So again, Jesus' answer clarifies the problem and shows us the solution. He shows us the solution. He says, go, Satan. Literally, beat it, devil. (laughs) Beat it. (laughs) You don't have to. That's how we talk to him. Get out of here. Beat it. I know someone talked to you mamas. You're worried about the devil messing with your kids. Beat it. Out. Oh, I can't talk like that. Yes, you can. Because he did. Because he did. We're just just follow him. You follow him, you'll be all right. You do it on your own. Don't say that. Go, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus says, and I hope that we will say with him these words, I reject the empty promises of idolatry. I will not sell my soul for greed. You and I say, Satan, you have nothing but fool's gold to offer, and I am not for sale. I have already been purchased. I've already been chosen. I've already been adopted. And like Jesus, listen to this, I am already an heir to heaven itself. There is nothing this world can offer me that even compares. The answer is no. I will serve God alone. Temptation is a lie. And sin is when you and I choose to believe and embrace that lie instead of trusting and obeying God. Following Jesus means that you trust and obey just as Jesus did before you and for you. 
And because he did, we can. Really quick, just wrapping this up now. What does this mean to us as followers of Jesus? Obviously, there's lots to learn here about what we the, about the principal failures that we should recognize and reject. We, we, that Christ has helped us overcome those things. It should tell us the, the importance of, of storing the, the word of God in our hearts. But once again, the big thing is that Jesus overcame our failures and our foe. That means, friends, the one that we follow overcame sin. Overcame sin. The one that we follow overcame. Because Jesus faces these failures and overcomes them, he doesn't just expose our failures, he overcomes them for us. And therefore, again, because he did, we can. That means you and I do not have to live as slaves to sin. You can not sin. What? But the Christian radio sings all the songs about how weak it is and how weak we are and how miserable we are and how powerful sin is and how miserable. Stop it. Read the Bible. You do not have sin shall not be your master. Here's what here, listen to this. This long running narrative about this lingering power of sin is not biblical. The New Testament tells us to shed sin like dead skin. Not that we won't face temptation. Here, listen to these, these, these verses as we close. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So don't whine about it. This is Everybody faces these fundamental things. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Romans 6, 14 says, For sin shall not be master over you. Romans 12, 1, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles. The writer of Hebrews recognizes the potential, the possibility that sin could entangle us, but he said, lay it aside. Throw it off. 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The intention is for you to live like an overcomer. Because he did, we can. Now, then John says, and if anyone sins, if you blow it, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Elsewhere, he says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he has made a way for you to overcome sin, and he's made a way if, that you, if you do sin or you do submit to sin, that there is forgiveness and cleansing to overcome that. You cannot lose. It's good news. Jesus Christ faced our failures and our foe and overcame. And let's say it one more time. Because he did, we can. Can we stand together and just give him thanks and praise for that? Come on, let's just give him thanks. Thank him like you're glad that he did that for you. Can we do that? Father, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks for all that you have done for us in Christ. We thank you today that you are faithful. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you that Jesus faced and overcame these things for us. 
And Lord, we pray today in the name of Jesus that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that like Jesus, we live, we follow the Spirit and live under his anointing and his influence. Lord, we treasure your word in our heart. We recognize that it's, the, that it's truth that enables us to live free from lies. We thank you that you've given us the equipping of the Holy Spirit. Lord, the nutrition and the truth of your word, but also just the victory of Jesus himself. For this, we give you thanks and praise. Everybody said amen. Amen. Folks, be sure on your way out today to be kind to someone, encourage someone. Tell, and if someone's rooting for a team that you're not, be nice anyway.